Optimal Radio. This is Jared Gossett. And as you all may know, we're in the middle of a series on how to raise money for your projects. However, today we're going to take a little midstream departure from that. That series will be picking back up here in probably the next week. But we had to pivot because I had the opportunity to speak once again with one of our most popular guests on our show so far the high-performance building consultant and building science expert, Peter Yost with buildinggreen.com. Peter came back on for a short little like 15-minute episode, and we hit just a few high-level questions talking about building performance assemblies and two-by-six framing on 24s or on 24 and uh, water-resistive barriers. So anyway, a short episode, but some good stuff because Peter is a wealth of knowledge. So check it out and again, be looking for us to pick up our second episode on how to raise money for your projects next time. Well, Peter, you're... uh, one of our one of our most popular episodes and interviews so far. So thank you and welcome back to the show for a little quick episode. Thanks, Jared. Good to be here. One topic that is obviously a hot point for builders is they're building assemblies and you've got preferred building practice with what a lot of us do. With that in mind, what's the number one easy fix that you could recommend to builders to upgrade our building assemblies? I'm going to give you an answer that I, you're probably not expecting, and it's because I was just kind of sitting working on this topic. Way back when, I don't know if I mentioned this the last time, but uh, I used to work with a woman named Rose Gear Grant, and she was the building scientist for State Farm Insurance Company. You know, I asked her, I said, so, hey, for northern climates, what are your two biggest claims? And she said, oh, that's easy. Ice dams and burst clothes washer hoses. The first one you would expect, the second one's like, Really? And, you know, the second one, when I was a kid, we put the clothes washer machines in the basement. And so if there was a burst clothes washer hose, it only trashed the basement. Well, now we're putting uh, laundry rooms up next to the master bedroom. So if a clothes washer hose bursts, we trash like three floors. Yeah, you got a lot bigger problem. Yeah. So that's not really a building science thing. You know, you just build a, you buy a single throw shutoff valve for your washer and put it somewhere where you can reach it. And then you just treat it like a light switch. And State Farm will even give you a discount for doing that because oh, really? it's a big claim of theirs. Yeah. Okay. But the, the ice dams, of course, are complicated. And in northern climates, it's a combination of conductive heat loss and air leakage. So normally we think of bulk water as like the number one thing you should worry about. And that's because the most water can be conveyed by a bulk water leak. But interestingly, from an insurance perspective, it's the ice dam, which is a combination of conductive heat loss and air leakage. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Guess what the two largest claims are for Texas? It's still clothes washer hoses, right? Uh Uh-huh. But your biggest problem in Texas is uh, frozen pipes. Really? Yeah, even in Houston. Because it's sort of like when you design a, an air conditioner, you, you know, you put in the design load, right? I need this air conditioner big enough to handle the hottest day. But what about protecting things from freezing like a pipe? Well, your design conditions for that are 
when it gets to be just unseasonably cold, right? Because it doesn't matter if your pipe bursts just once. When it does, it can just do tons of damage, particularly if you're not home. So um, it turns out that, you know, most of the time, like say only once every 15 years, do you need to have the building enclosure perfectly insulated and perfectly air sealed around things like uh, water pipes that would be in an exterior wall? And in fact, in cold climates, you would never put piping in the exterior wall, right? Because it's too vulnerable. But in milder climates, you can get away with it until you can't. And so the funny thing is, when I asked Rose Gear Grant, she said, oh, it's still the clothes washer hoses, but the damnedest thing is that it's frozen pipes that can create the most damage, even in really warm climates, because most of the time you can get away without air sealing and insulating pretty well. But that one time you don't, it's like the mother load of damage. When you don't plan for that more extreme event, at least in Texas, we the, the mean and the average doesn't mean that much because we get crazy swings in every direction. And here's a, here's a similar example. The peak load in Miami, Florida is heating for power plants because when it gets cold enough for people to need heat, everybody has strip heat. So the most inefficient form of heating, well, the power plants have to design for like that really odd cold day in January in Miami or Orlando because that's their peak load. So the peak load in Orlando is heating. Guess what the peak load is in Ontario? Cooling. <laughs> because when it gets hot enough for air conditioning, everybody turns it on and they all have really lousy, inefficient air conditioners. So sort of the lesson there is you have to prepare for the worst because when the worst hits, it's really awful. So if we're talking about builders who can take something back right now, I, I'm probably dumbing yeah. this down too much. Is there, is there one or two things that a guy can walk away from listening to this today and say, let's change this in our specs? Well, I think it would be, you know, in many areas across the United States, people are in the 2015 Model Energy Code and just honoring the building science built into that. You know, here's something interesting. I think that every window installation and door installation should have a back dam okay. so that if water gets into the window installation, it has to drain out. It can't drain in. It turns out that the Model Energy Code 2015 cites AMA 711, and AMA 711 requires a back dam in all sill pans for windows and doors. So what we think of as a high-performance feature, it's actually in the code. So I would just say to the building community, a lot of this stuff is going after the biggest, baddest stuff first. And when we talk about building science, it's almost always bulk water. You know, do the simple things to keep bulk water out of your building. Because when they come back to bite you, they bite so hard. Yeah. And in your experience, the back dam is something that a lot of builders don't do, but it's a pretty simple practice to start implementing, I would think. Exactly. And it only has to be a half inch. You know, that step up and that half inch, if water gets into that opening, that'll be enough to send it out rather than send it in. Because a flat sill pan, it just says water go in or out. We don't really care. And that's, of course, not what you want. You want it to, if you're going to put in a sill pan, put in a half inch dam to, so to make sure that if you do get water in there, it's forced to go out rather than in. All right. Very good. 
My next question, there's a lot of concern with builders about um, putting two by six on 24 on center, which is one yeah. of the principles with advanced framing. I'm just curious your take on that. Do you feel like there's any negative to uh, that or any, any structural integrity that's lost when you do that? Yeah, I mean, this is really interesting because when I was a builder, I framed everything two by six, 16 on center because that's the one my brothers taught me how to do it. And so it's really, really hard to break builders out of that habit of 16 on center, even though 16 on center is a little bit archaic. You know, it's like, where did the 16 come from? We have had code approved, empirically validated advanced framing techniques since the early 60s. What is it, 50 years later now, we're still struggling to get the building community (laughs) to move to 24 on center. And a lot of it has to do just with we like to do things the way that we were taught or were used to doing. And uh, I hear, oh, you know, it makes the walls too wavy. Well, if you have warped lumber, you know, you can get more waves per lineal foot or per 20 foot run if you have bowed lumber that's 16 on center. You know, the, the wavy yeah. of the walls doesn't have to do with the frequency of the framing. It has to do with the quality of the lumber. And, and frankly, you get less bow typically in a two by six than you do a two by four. So I, I don't know. I, I think that there's no doubt that the code fully endorses advanced framing. And every time you take a two by four out or a two by six and you replace it with even the lowest R value insulation, you've increased the R value by three and a half times for every stick you take out. And if you're doing 16 on center without any advanced framing, uh, you may have a, a 20 to a 22% framing factor, which means that one-fifth of your exterior wall is R1 per inch lumber. So if you can knock that framing factor down to 15 without any structural compromise, you've just gotten a huge energy boost at no cost. I know that we did four-stud corners because that's what you needed to make sure that the drywall got secured at the corners and that the trim board's nailed upright. It's not that hard to put in a two-stud corner or a three-stud corner and get adequate support for both drywall and corner boards. You know, Sometimes you have to use good trim screws to get that corner board sucked up to OSB or plywood instead of a two-by-four, but it's not rocket science. We can do it. And to address the concern about wavy walls, if you got a long run or one that's going to be really noticeable anyway, you can just go to a little more expensive LSL framed wall along those areas anyway. Yeah. And, and if you look at most specs, even for vinyl siding, they're, they, in their instructions, allow for 24 on center framing. So I'm sure there are all kinds of camps on this, but just water resistive barrier tech or Tyvek zip, and there are a whole host of other options out there. Where do you come out on this? First of all, you know, we have three basic types of water-resistant barrier systems. There's sheet goods, there's rigid materials, and then there's fluid applied. And of course, the fluid applied, once it's on a rigid material, then it's pretty much just like the rigid materials. I have a strong preference for rigid air barriers because they're not stressed by any bellowing effect that we get on wall or roof planes. I certainly, as a builder, used an awful lot of building paper and then subsequently uh, spun-bonded polyolefins, which are the plastic house wraps, Tyvek, Typar. And I do think that with a rigid material like the ZIP system, you can get a better air seal and 
water-resistive component than you can with sheet goods. Can you get adequate or even superior with the sheet goods? Yes, you can, but I don't think that they're as robust. Now, having said that, the flexible goods have a built-in weather lap. If you put it up shingle style, you're going to get gravity drainage rather than collection. So any of the systems, and this is particularly true of ZIP, is super dependent on the strength of the bond, particularly on the top edge of that horizontal tape. So if you get fish mouthing there or you don't put enough pressure, now you're holding water rather than shedding it. So the operative word with pressure-sensitive adhesive tapes is pressure. You need to make sure that you adequately sort of activate those high-performance adhesives and the pressure is what liquefies that adhesive and gets it to kind of meld into the nature of the substrate. In this case, it's OSB or the polymeric coating on the, on the zip. So I've seen plenty of installations of all types of weather-resistive barriers and air barriers. And so all of them need to be installed representing the quality of the material with the quality of the installation. They all will fail if the details aren't done right. I have a preference for rigid systems, and I've done a lot of testing on tapes that make me confident in the bond, particularly with the acrylic tape that Zip uses. One operative thing you said in there that really stuck with me is that every one of these systems is pretty much only as good as the installer that's putting it up. You can certainly go and find Tyvek going after Zip, Zip going after Tyvek, and you can find plenty of job sites where, you know, the Tyvek is just really poorly installed and, and also with the, the Zip system. So none of them bears up if you don't do them right. So, you know, that's kind of like looping back to the first one. You know, what is the main thing a builder can do? You know, I just came back from a trip to Houston and I'll tell you, the, you know, that no area of this country is exempt from people building really expensive things called homes and just not getting the details right. So if, if it's one thing, why would you buy a quality material like Tyvek or Zip and then not do it right? Because, boy, you know, if you're going to do high performance, it, it's not just designing and purchasing the right way. It's, it's getting them installed correctly. It's kind of basic, but definitely key for builders. Well, great advice, Peter. Uh, as always, I don't want to take more of your time today because I know you're scrambling, but I do want to point out that you're going to be hosting on Tuesday, July 31st, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, live webinar on high-performance building assemblies. That can be, I assume, registered for and purchased at uh, buildinggreen.com. Is that right? Yeah. And, you know, that's more focused towards commercial architecture and uh, commercial buildings, but the principles are the same. Awesome. Peter, again, thanks for your time. Hopefully we can have you back on here again soon. Always good to talk to you.